entering the Freedom Hut. Is the Senate trial almost over, or is it just the end of the beginning, or perhaps the middle? We'll get into that. And then also, CNN is concerned that there's not enough diversity of those in charge of the fight against coronavirus. We got Brexit, the Super Bowl, and oh, so much more. Oh, my. Coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Hello, team. Good to be back. Missed you. Sorry I had to be gone yesterday. Down with my good friends at Stansbury Research yesterday in Baltimore. We got a book draft in. Book will be coming out in the next 90 days. Turn it around as quickly as possible to get it out in the out in the uh, public for election time. As these things go, you got to make sure you time it properly. Uh, but I did miss doing the show yesterday. I trust my uh, friend and colleague, Madison Jesiato, kept you all informed and entertained here in the Freedom Hut. Uh, I, I was able to catch a good amount of the latest round of last-minute desperate arguments from the Democrats about why we should extend uh, extend this sham of a trial because we need more witnesses. Remember, when they say to you, as they have been endlessly, when they say to you that a trial without witnesses is not, in fact, a trial— That leaves out that the Democrats alone called 17 witnesses. The Democrats did not allow any Republican witnesses, nor did the Democrats allow for the president's counsel to be present at any phase of the depositions. And there was no cross-examination of these witnesses. So they were able to line up an entirely one-sided case so that they could use that evidence, whatever you want to call it, uh, you could use the, the testimony of those individuals to get the House of Representatives to have an entirely party line vote to impeach the president of the United States. And then when it made its way over into the Senate, they realized, well, we don't have the majority, so party line vote won't do it. In fact, we need a two thirds majority. 67, that's a tough number to get to. And so they had no hope. And what do they do now? They try to extend it. But the process has been entirely unfair all along. For those who are now claiming if it's a trial, which is interesting because it's not a criminal trial. So really, the only procedural safeguards that are in place are what appears fair to those running it in the House and the Senate. So if it's not a criminal trial then it's up to the people that are constitutionally bound to to hold this process. But if we're going to talk about fairness, how about this? It is an essential characteristic of our system of, uh, of justice that when someone is accused of something, they have the right to contest, to cross-examine that accuser. In this case, not only is there no ability to contest to cross-examine the accuser, the whistleblower, we are not allowed to know officially who the whistleblower is. The American people are being told that there's a political process 
underway to judge a president and perhaps remove him and to end a presidency before it has even completed its first four-year term, because we know he's going for eight. And there's no willingness to name the central accuser of this whole thing, the person who got it all started. How could anyone claim that this is fairness? Why is it the case that we have no ability to cross-examine the individual who may have very well colluded, there's that word, conspired behind the scenes with Adam Schiff, members of his staff, in order to bring this absurd complaint against the president of the United States. So this hasn't been fair. And that then brings me to where I depart from some other conservatives out there who say, let's do the witness thing. Mitt Romney, we know, has said that. Susan Collins of Maine has said that. But Lamar Alexander, oh, Lamar Alexander, Democrat of Tennessee, has said, I'm sorry, Republican of, of Tennessee, um, has said that he will not, not push for witnesses, that enough, enough is enough on this one. Let's just understand that there's no good faith coming from the other side. So if the main reason that many people give for why we should extend this and have witnesses is that it would make the process seem more fair to the American people. No, you can't reward the tyrannical, maniacal efforts of Democrats to cheat at every phase of a process. And then when they haven't gotten their way, when really the whole process was doomed from the start because of the way they approached it, when they haven't gotten what they want at the end of it, to give them another shot, just because you want to seem like you're the good guys, this is foolishness. This is foolishness. This should be finished off, ended, done. Does anyone really believe that if we were to allow for a week, as, as Adam Schiff is now saying, we need a week of witnesses. Does anyone really believe that if we pushed for and, and, and if the Senate voted in favor of this, Democrats would then say when the inevitable result of an acquittal happens for the president that, OK, it was a fair trial and the president was acquitted. I guess we uh, I guess we made a mistake on this one. I guess we had an error in judgment. Nobody thinks that no intelligent human being believes that that is the case. No one thinks that if we play nicer with the Democrats at this phase, there will be anything to benefit the Republicans or just our general perception of this that results from the Democrats' willingness to admit that this whole thing was unfair and a scam all along. So why is it that we on the right seem so unwilling to learn not even lessons of the past, the lessons of last week, of the last three months? Why do we refuse to learn the lesson? I, I, I can't really give you a clear answer. All I can say to you is... Well, we seem to think that we get, you know, a, a merit badge. We get a pat on the head as conservatives for being too nice to Democrats who have been engaged in all kinds of histrionics, cheating, false accusations, just the worst kind of behavior. Why reward Pelosi and Nadler and Schiff and Schumer with additional days to smear the president when that's all this is? There is nothing new. I do not care what John Bolton has to say. 
If John Bolton says, yes, there was a quid pro quo, it will not change my opinion of these proceedings one bit. Because ultimately there's no crime, the president didn't do anything wrong, and there's nothing to see here. It's stunning that there are still so many who don't seem able to figure out what's really going on. There is a stop-at-nothing approach from the opponents of this presidency to tear this president down because he is such a threat to them, to their privileges, to their power, to the perception of them as wise, erudite people that should be running the country, the political class, the media class. He's a threat to all of this. So they hate him for it. And they view whatever they have to do as necessary against this president. I mean, it really, with, with Democrats at this point, it reminds me of the, uh, the old story of the, what, the scorpion and the frog. Some people I've heard say the turtle and the frog. It's the same idea. The scorpion and the frog. Right? The very short version of this is there's a river. Frogs can swim. Scorpions can't. Scorpion goes up to the frog and says, hey, can you take me across? And the frog says, hold on a second. You're a scorpion. I don't want to get stung. Scorpion says, come on, I'm not going to sting you. Yeah, I sting everything else, and I sting people all the time, but I'm not going to sting you. I just want to get across the river. He goes, all right. Scorpion hops on the frog's back, gets out in the middle of the river. Sure enough, bam, stings him. Before he drowns, because now he's paralyzed, looks up at the, fro- looks up the scorpion and says, why'd you do that? Now we're both going to die. And what does the scorpion say? It is in my nature. We know what is in Pelosi and Schumer and Schiff and the Democrat socialist left's nature. We know who they are. We know how they play the game. We, we think that there's something to, to benefit our side, something to benefit the country by dragging out this boring, disgraceful sham of an impeachment. Horrible judgment. Any conservative who is advocating for witnesses, I think is showing really bad judgment on this issue. I'm not saying they do so in bad faith. I just think they're wrong. How much more do we have to see? Why take the risk? By the way, who knows? Let's remember this. Speaking of the nature of Democrats, you know, the the Democrat Party as the scorpion that will kill the frog, even if it sinks both of them, right? That's, That's who we're really dealing with here. Kavanaugh was about to sail through. They tried, you know, oh, well, his, his credentials are impeccable. There's really no case against him. Everyone loves him. He's a great guy, great at his job, brilliant. Gold standard resume. Everything's lining up. What do they do at the 11th hour? Try out a bunch of crazy people to lie about him. And then have the whole media apparatus say, well, there's no evidence, and these stories don't even add up, and it all seems like BS, but, you know, let's destroy this guy's life because we got to make sure we don't have a conservative on the court. You want to give them another week? Remember the game last time? Let's have the FBI investigate the allegations of... It was the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. The FBI's not... There's nothing to investigate. They can't figure anything out. The FBI's not some super secret squad of investigators that has a time machine. This is absurd. But, oh, there were some some Republicans. Well, I'll look like I'm uh, more even-handed and fair-minded. What? Uh, I mean, we're going into Super Bowl Sunday. As John Madden would say, just whap it down. End this thing. It's absurd. It needs to stop. The message we want to send is that we understand how the other side plays. The message we want to send is that we've already seen enough frogs drown to know that we're not going to give a piggyback to a scorpion anymore. How about that for a lesson, GOP? GOP. 
You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. We're dealing with a purely partisan impeachment with bipartisan opposition, no crime, no violation of law in an election year. Okay? Never happened before. No investigation, no due process, nothing. And what they're telling you, I mean, we can talk all we want, and we will, <laughs> but, but what are we talking about at the end of the day? We're talking about removing a president of the United States from a ballot in an election that's occurring in months. Who thinks that's a good idea? Particularly when, when you're dealing with a purely partisan impeachment that was warned about from the framers. Okay? So the only appropriate result that won't damage our country horribly, maybe forever, but certainly for generations, is a verdict of acquittal. Cipollone has done a fantastic job throughout. He's really made a name. He's earned a name for himself, a worthwhile name at that. He is a an excellent lawyer, and he's been among the strongest of all the people speaking in defense of the president. Although, you know, the Dersh really got under the Libs, Libs uh, skin on this stuff because they are even lying about how he's now abandoned one of his defenses. I might get to that later if we have time. I have other things to talk about today other than impeachment. Some of you have been saying, Buck, enough on the impeachment. I'm like, I'm trying. It's, it's the obsession of the media. It's the obsession of the people that their job is to actually bring you facts and things that matter. So, yes, got some updates on coronavirus. People are saying that there's a racist response to coronavirus in the media. I said, what? People just don't want to die from a preventive from a, an infectious disease. That there's not this. We don't. We don't need to make this about wokeism, right? We we don't need to make this a woke issue. We can just make this a people don't want to die from an infectious disease. But but back to uh, what the Democrats have been pushing for here all along. Think about this for a moment. Imagine if they got their way. Imagine for a moment if the Democrats did in fact manage to remove this president. They talk about how they want this country brought back together. They've got these candidates like Joe Biden who will say, oh, I need to unify this country. We've been so polarized. What could be more polarizing than in an election year after we've had three years of really exceptionally good governance from this president, a record that is crushing. This is the best presidential record of my adult lifetime of any president. That's just a fact. There's no one else who can compare the first three years of their presidency for as long as I've been old enough to really pay attention. No one else who can compare to what Donald Trump has done. And you've got an election coming up. They say he's horrible. He's in front of the Constitution. He's all these things. And so they won't allow the American people to make a determination about him. They won't allow the political process to play out. Instead, they are pulling all of the fire alarms in the building. You know, they can't win the debate. So what do you do? You make a lot of noise. You bang on the doors. You pull the fire alarms. They're, they're desperate to do something. And that's what we see going on here. Um, Joe Biden, for example. The good news for Joe Biden, or rather the good news for Maisie Hirono, is that Joe Biden is dumber than any current sitting senator. So congratulations to Maisie Hirono, because Joe Biden is dumber than she is, which is stunning. That's quite an achievement. Um, can we, do we have 
Well, we'll get to Maisie Arano in a moment. But here, here's Joe Biden talking about this not when he's asked about whether this is partisan, because Biden, by the way, has always said we should not have partisan impeachments. Play clip uh, 24, Mark. Wrong in 1974, wrong in 1998. Why isn't it wrong now? This is not a partisan impeachment. He violated the Constitution. Only Democrats voted for it in the House and one independent. Well, that doesn't mean that the facts, the underlying facts, George, whether the Constitution has been violated. That's the issue. That's the issue. Was the Constitution violated? Even if it's a party line vote. Period. Even if it's party line vote, it just goes and reflects on those who know, in fact, in their heart and their head that, in fact, it's a violation of the Constitution to do what he did. And, in fact, vote no. That's party line vote, but that doesn't make it right. And a party line vote that is based upon something that doesn't relate to a constitutional violation is a different thing. Blather. Just confused Mr. Magoo blather from Joe Biden here. It's not a partisan impeachment. A partisan impeachment is, uh, uh, you know, when there's not the partisans who are being partisan because of the Constitution and the thing about the, yeah. What? Joe Biden, folks. I, I got it. I laughed. I actually LOL'd, which is a rare thing for me. It happens sometimes when I'm reading through Twitter, but I laughed because Tucker had this whole thing about how <laughs> I laugh even just thinking about it. That's this whole thing about how Joe Biden should be. Did you see this, Brewster Mark? How Joe Biden shouldn't be in the race. He should be feeding pigeons from his <laughs> ice cream cone in Florida. <laughs> and they had a little graphic of him breaking off bits of his ice cream cone and feeding it to pigeons in Florida. I think that's I think that's fair at this point. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mitch McConnell is a very ruthless person. He can count the votes. He knows well what he, he needs to do. And this is why he took the last day or so to really put pressure on his caucus so that there would not be that fourth vote coming forward. So you're saying that they have the votes to block essentially I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> We're still hoping because, you know, that's what we do around here. That's a, that's a, a campaign ad as far as I'm concerned for Cocaine Mitch. Maisie Hirono, dumbest current member of the Senate. Joe Biden, formerly of the Senate, dumber than Maisie Hirono. But uh, you have Hirono saying Mitch McConnell is a, quote, very ruthless person. Cocaine Mitch, don't play games. Cocaine Mitch is a very ruthless person. So I, I think that she's cut a, a free campaign commercial for Mitch McConnell. And give, give Mitch credit. He's apparently... Exerting a lot of uh, a lot of authority among his caucus, exerting a lot of authority among members of the Republican members of the Senate to make sure that they don't fall victim to the absurd, absurd uh, demand now that the Senate has to do the work that Democrats were unwilling to do. Democrats don't play the by, by the rules, and then they turn around and say, "Well, you have to play by the rules now." No. That that's not how this is going to go. That's not how this should work. It would be an error. I don't even care, by the way. And people that say they want witnesses, and I'm talking about conservatives now, including some that I, that I think are, are very smart and that I really like as people. I think they're very wrong on this because even if you extend this thing out and nothing bad comes of it, 
we should reestablish here or I guess just establish a new principle that the other side doesn't get to cheat and then hold us to the most precise and extreme interpretation of inherently subjective rules anyway. They don't get to say, we're going to go, we're going to go bare knuckle. You guys have to be really nice and generous with the rules. Trumpism is a rejection of that wholesale. That is the great thing about the president. Instead of sitting there while, you know, over 90% of the media just trashes a Republican and they, and the Republican just has to meekly take it as, you know, the commander in chief. Trump's like, no, you're a bunch of fake news. You're clowns. You're jerks. And he's right to do so. Why is it that only on our side that the president should always get trashed by people pretending to speak truth to power when they're just little lackeys of the left? So I think it's important here. It's about it's about establishing a principle that principles have to apply to both sides in politics. We're not going to do this anymore where we're where we're Boy Scouts. We're the hall monitors and they get to be the bad boys skipping school, smoking cigarettes around the corner riding on motorcycles or whatever the cool kids do. I've actually never been on a motorcycle, side note. I, I got to say, people sometimes approach me and they ask me about uh, theories that they have. I don't want to call them conspiracy theories because when, when I've had folks reach out to me, especially about Epstein things, I end up saying, yeah, I think you're, I think you're probably right. Yeah, I think and that might be considered a conspiracy theory, but there are conspiracies and sometimes you have to theorize to understand what the conspiracy is. But generally, uh, when people ask me, especially those who you know trust me, listen to me day in and day out, if they see me on the street or if they write me an email and they say, hey, I've, I've got the I've got this kind of out there theory. And I always appreciate that they trust me to, to analyze it for them. And I tell them the truth. If I think, no, that's a little too far off or, you know, I'll try to say something if it's really out there, like I appreciate your creativity or you're thinking outside the box. Those of you who know this show well know that's my my most uh, affectionate and respectful way of saying I, I don't see it, but you're still you could be right. You could be right. I just don't think it's probably in a particular instance the case. But I've had people come up to me recently and they want to talk to me about what is going on with. Uh, and I say come up to me. Yes, some have talked to me, but also reach out to me. What's going on with John Roberts? What, what, why? Why is John Roberts? Um, do they people have said do they have something on him do they does the left have something on him and i i would be inclined to say no because there's no evidence of that right i don't have any evidence of that but i also can't say that that's completely crazy because i have no way of explaining to you why when they did this whole q a session thing with senators where they have oh we get to have the one team the president's defense team or the prosecutors the house managers trying to make the case to remove the president, questions posed by senators. And you had uh, Senator Rand Paul, who posed a question, and this was the response. This was the response of the chief justice who's presiding over all of this. Uh, Producer Mark, please, uh, please play whichever, 22. I have a question to present to the desk for the House Manager Schiff and for the President's Counsel. Thank you. The presiding officer declines to read the question as submitted. What? Why? I, that, that's stunning. Why, why does the presiding officer, in this case the 
the chief justice of the Supreme Court, who's really just supposed to be a traffic cop, no offense to traffic cops, but you know, supposed to be a traffic cop determining that the process proceeds as agreed by the Senate, but the Senate is running the show. He's just there. He's not really there as a judge. He's there a little bit more just as a, you know, a guy to referee a little bit, but he doesn't have the same power he would say in a federal court where the judge gets to determine like, you know, judge can clear the room. Judge could send you to prison. Judge has a lot of power in a courtroom. He's just there to kind of make sure that the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted and, you know, no one keeps everybody up too late. They break for lunch. That kind of stuff. Why did the chief justice of the Supreme Court refuse to read aloud Rand Paul's question? It's not up to the he's just reading out questions. Well, here is what Rand Paul's question was. Quote, this was out on Twitter. My question today is about whether or not individuals who were holdovers from the Obama National Security Council and Democrat partisans conspired with Schiff staffers to plot impeaching the president before there were formal House impeachment proceedings. You know why we were told that John Roberts would not read out this question? Because they have to protect the whistleblower. There is no absolute statutory protection for the identity of the whistleblower. It does not exist. There's protection for retaliation inside the government for that government employee for raising a complaint. That's fine. The whistleblower can keep his little civil service job. That's not what we're talking about here. But to pretend like the whistleblower is some super state secret that the name Eric Sharamella cannot be, you can't, if you put this out on social media, you'll get banned. If you put this out on different platforms, they, they will uh, take your account down. They'll suspend you. It's absurd. Why? How is how are we at this point? This really does feel like something out of the Soviet Union. I, I this is one of the only things that has happened in the Trump presidency that is so absurd. Even though even knowing that the Trump uh, the anti-Trump Democrats are a bunch of deranged fools, this is so absurd that I can't even explain to you how we really got here. It doesn't even make sense. There's no real dispute here. We've already had news organizations report on his name. There's no statutory protection from uttering his name. Bring it. Arrest me for saying Eric Sharamella. you got to be kidding me. This guy wants to work to undermine and destroy a presidency from inside the government. Don't, don't the American people and don't the senators who are supposed to vote on this have a right to know if there was collusion conspiring among Democrat partisans with this individual before the impeachment process had even started? Why don't his motives matter? People that have, this is absurd, by the way, there's so much intellectual dishonesty around this. People say, oh, it doesn't matter. He presented the complaint. The complaint was true. Well, the complaint is true insofar as there are narratives that are injected into it that are highly debatable and arguable about what the motivations of the president were, about what benefit would have been conferred on the president and his reelection, even if this quid pro quo had gone through. The initial complaint reads like an editorial. 
there's all these assumptions baked in about the president didn't have a legitimate reason to do this and the president didn't have any other considerations in the temporary hold on aid to Ukraine, aid that was in excess of what his predecessor Obama would give. But, oh, that's right, we're told now that the war in Ukraine is an urgent national security interest for the United States. I don't know what is wrong with the chief justice because it's only possible to say that you put aside whether there's any statutory protection for the whistleblower's name, and there is not. And there's no there's no claim other people say, oh, you can't say you got to protect the whistleblower, protect from retaliation. It's the inspector general of the intelligence community can make the determination wholly on his own at any point in time, by the way, to release the name publicly. Say, yes, this is the whistleblower because he believed it would come out later. They've created this absurd Alice in Wonderland alternate universe where the name isn't already out there and we have no need to know what the name is officially. But even if you take this claim or it's it's beyond crazy, even if but even if you accept that there's some need to protect the identity of the whistleblower. um, Eric Sharamella, even if you believe that, uh, how could they know they're protecting the identity of the whistleblower by asking about holdovers from the Obama National Security Council conspiring with Schiff staffers to plot impeaching the president. How, how could they know if that would touch on the whistleblower's identity or not? Because they all claim they don't know who the whistleblower is. Adam Schiff says he does not know who the whistleblower is. So, well, how do we know that there isn't somebody else at the Obama National Security Council involved? Uh, they can't know. No, their, their whole point here is to shut down any inquiry into this area because you know what happens if we find out the answer to Rand Paul's question? The whole thing collapses, and they know it. They know it because we understand the reality here. Just like I was right the entire time about every aspect of Russia collusion, I'm telling you I'm right about this. Sharamella and some other Democrat partisans inside the NSC, the National Security Complex, reached out, someone reached out to Schiff's staff, and they worked with them to create this complaint, and the whole thing was meant as a partisan hit job from the beginning. It's not about fear for the Constitution or anything else, and the motivations matter tremendously. Because your motivations, if you're talking about a political process to remove a president, should be known to the people that are judging whether or not that president should be removed. But here we are. So when people ask me, what do they have on John Roberts? I don't know. But just remember this. Bush judges, not so good sometimes. Trump judges, pretty fantastic from what we've seen. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The analogy uh, is not applicable to the present situation because first, to the extent uh, that opposition research was obtained, it was opposition research that was purchased. Oh, let's back up for a second. They're, they're back up for a second. Um, um, Hakeem Jeffries. Hakeem Jeffries uh, is asked a question about whether or not there was foreign 
interference, uh, foreign interference in the election based on the fact that you had a foreigner, Christopher Steele, paid to go ask a bunch of foreigners, mostly Ukrainian subsources, about gossip about the president of the United States. And then that was used through the FBI apparatus to get an investigation going of Carter Page. We know that this was all bunk. This was all garbage. It was crap. But isn't that foreign interview? Isn't going around to ask a bunch of Ukrainians what they think about the, the someone running for president and then presenting that under really false pretenses to the FBI? How is that not foreign interference in the election? Hakeem Jeffries here says it's because it was paid for. Oh, OK. So under this logic, let's be very clear. If President Trump had said, hey, Zelensky, open an investigation into the Bidens. I'll give you I'll give you a million dollars cash. Well, the Jeffries rule says that that's OK because it's paid for. That's foreign interference in election that's paid for. I also I saw my friend Andy McCarthy over the weekend's piece in National Review. I totally agree with this. I've been saying it all along. It wouldn't have even done anything if there had been investigations of the Bidens. Look at the Clintons. Hillary was under indictment for over 100 violations. I'm sorry, under investigation rather, not indictment. Under investigation for over 100 violations of the Espionage Act, which she did violate. She was running for president as somebody under felony investigation. And also the destruction of evidence that happened. They did everything they could. Comey made sure the whole thing was massaged so that nothing bad would happen to Hillary and her buddies. And they ignored that. And she did win the popular vote, despite the fact that she's like a horrible candidate who's so unethical, it's insane. And the Clinton Foundation and, they, you know, there's no there's nothing, nothing to see there. It was all in the up and up. They had to shut the whole thing down when Hillary didn't become president, basically. But sure, it was a great charity. It wasn't about anything else. It wasn't a, a pass through a slush fund for Clinton access. Sure, that's why I'm sure the, you know, the, the, the government of Saudi Arabia or you know, all these other places that are giving money to the Clinton Foundation, it's because they care so much about women's empowerment and climate change. But this is what the media wants you to believe. They want, you, they want to treat you like we're all so dumb, we can't understand anything that's going on here. Hakeem Jeffries has asked the question, what, well, what about the foreign interference that occurred on, with the Clinton campaign against Trump? And he says, well, that was paid for. Oh, Okay. That's a great answer. Notice people are not asked to explain this. I've been saying this all along. They're not asked to explain why that's not why what happened with the dossier was not foreign interference in the election. But even beyond that, this uh, the entire Democrat case here is based upon the and this is where Andy McCarthy's piece in National Review comes into play. What I've been saying that this, this Democrats the corruption is the water in which they swim. It, it wasn't it wasn't going to derail Biden's presidency, just the announcement of an investigation in Ukraine. Nobody even cares about Ukraine. I know Democrats are all, oh, Ukraine. No one cares about Ukraine. Really? None of these people talking about it do. Oh, but if Ukrainian prosecutor general or whatever he's called had announced that they're looking into Hunter Biden, that would have ended. Uh, no, Democrats would be fine with that. This whole thing is is bonkers. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's a little bit interesting to me, and my colleague, the Deputy White House Counsel, referred to this. It's a little bit ironic to me that you're going to be questioning conversations with foreign governments about investigations with when three of you, three members of the Senate, 
Senator Menendez, Senator Leahy, and Senator Durbin sent a letter that read something quickly like this. These were, they wrote the letter to the Prosecutor General of Ukraine. They said they're ag advocates, talking about the congressman, they're strong advocates for robust and close relationship with Ukraine, and we believe that our cooperation should extend to such legal matters, regardless of politics, and their concern was ongoing investigations and whether the Mueller team was getting appropriate appropriate responses from Ukraine regarding investigations of what? The President of the United States. And you're asking about whether foreign investigations are appropriate? I think it answers itself. Jay Sekulow, I know I've been giving a lot of high fives to Cipollone here, but Jay Sekulow has also really impressed me in this process. I love the Jennifer Rubin thing. Can, can you imagine if he actually was in front of a real judge? He's only won a bunch of cases in front of the Supreme Court. But other than that, he's never been in front of a real judge. I don't know how the Washington—I mean, I don't know how someone could be—I think she's a performance artist now. I think Jennifer Rubin of the Washington Post, who pretends to be a conservative so that she can have this uh, this make-believe situation of criticizing the people on her own team because she's the truth teller, when really she's just doing the bidding of the Democrats. This, there's a whole slew of people now. I mean, you got, you got that guy, Tom Nichols. Tom, I'm— I'm so I'm so disappointed, you know. I I'm so disappointed in what's happened with that guy. He he now is saying he will vote for Bernie Sanders over Donald Trump. That's how conservative he is. This is what some of these never Trumpers. I mean, they've just spiraled. The derangement is just worse and worse and worse. They're gonna vote for a socialist over Trump because you hate what so much? The mean tweets. I think some of the Trump tweets are fantastic, by the way. Not all of them, but some of them. When he retweets me, that's amazing. I haven't gotten a Trump retweet in a while, by the way, producer Mark. I'm a little sad about that. What's going on? You know, what? What? Where's the? Love? I'll reach out to the Trump team immediately. Yeah, can and you complain. Say, you know, yeah. I'm like, I need like at least one every couple of weeks. You know, he's one to take complaints uh, level-headed. He does like when people criticize something that he's doing. He was a big loves fan. That. He loves yeah. constructive criticism. You know, that'll get him to tweet about you, but not in a, <laughs> not good, a good way. way. That's right. <laughs> Be like Buck Sexton, his hair is absurd. Okay, he doesn't know what he's anyway. I mean, your hair is basically a darker version of, of his. Trump's hair. Yeah. I know that's well. He should love it, but he might he might slap it down, or he might be angry that he can't grow a beard like yours. Have we ever seen him with facial hair like the Rosalie? I've seen I've seen photoshopped Trump beard. Sure, and I you know I, I he's a clean shaving. Yeah, he's I don't think it would he's work. Not a beard guy. No. Yeah, yeah. So look. I did have someone once tell me in D.C. that I had Trump hair, but it was not a – this was many years ago. It was not – I don't think the guy meant it as a compliment. I think he was a mean lib, and I just – Was got, this before or after Trump was in politics? Way before. Oh. Yeah. I had yeah, Trump back hair. then people just mocked the Trump hair. Yeah. But, I mean, obviously the Trump hair – now, I have to wonder, you know, there were different times in history when very well-known leaders set trends. You know, Alexander the Great, for example, went clean-shaven – and it is believed that that was one of the, that that was different from Greek men, Macedonian men, same idea at the time would have would have had beards, and then all of a sudden you went through a period of non beardedness. I think also um, Julius Caesar is you know that there's there was not a lot of facial in ancient Rome to begin with, but Julius Caesar clean shaven. You have these different figures through history. I think maybe the Trump hair could in time become a thing. So you think I've, everyone's going to do their hair? Not everyone, swoop. but I think it might be not everybody. No, because yeah. you got to have a lot to pull off. That that is yeah, a I can't full pull it swoop. Off. To pull off a swoop at that level is not an easy thing to do. And I'm somebody that respects a good swoop. 
But I, I think you might see some people with the Trump hair going for and not just Trump impersonators. By the way, yeah, you know that I CPAC last year, which I'm going to this year. The announcement was official today. You can check that out. So go to CPAC, everybody. Hang out with the Buckster. Um, I was told that I did the best on the spot Trump impression for the Daily Caller of all the assembled random pundits. So, well, congratulations. Thank you. I know, I I'm going to get you a medal. I got that going for me, which is nice. Uh, where was I on this? Secolo calling out hypocrisy. Foreign investigations. Foreign investigations are fine as long as they're investigations of Republicans. But beyond that, the entire premise that the Democrat, the Democrat, the Democrats' case against Trump, so to speak, is that there was no basis to ask questions about Hunter Biden, and that asking questions about Hunter Biden is a massive abuse of power important enough to impeach a president because it amounts to cheating in the election. Those are all enormous leaps, enormous leaps. I would say unfounded, absurd, ridiculous leaps. But that's what they've had to do. They take nothing. They make a mountain out of a molehill. They, they take something that's so small and decide to make it so much bigger, um, which has been the case all along. Um. Oh, by the way, I wanted to get Rand Paul to weigh in on the why, because I don't have an answer for you, why the Chief Justice would not answer Rand's question. Here's the senator himself asking that. Play six. As you may have noticed, we had something slightly atypical downstairs. I asked a question, and the question was refused. Now, it's been reported that this question's about this or about that, and it's been refused for one reason or another. I can tell you that my question made no reference to any whistleblower or any kind of uh, person, a, a complainant from a whistleblower. I think it was an incorrect finding to not allow a question that makes no reference. Uh, I got to say this. Why hasn't uh, why hasn't any Republican senator read aloud into the record from the floor of the Senate, everything that we have been told and everything that has been reported about the whistleblower thus far. They have immunity, not that they need it because there's no crime or there's, there's no statutory protection anyway, but at least then we could say it is officially out there in the record. This, the journalists that are just waving their hands, you do not know the name of the, we do not know the name of the whistleblower. That is really disconcerting. Um, this is... This is one of the most egregious uh, abandoning, uh, one of the most egregious moments of abandoning supposed journalistic principle that I, I've ever seen. I do not understand how anyone thinks that it is acceptable, that, that still wants to claim the title of journalist, to pretend that there's not a national interest and that it is not news to see who this, to know who this person is. And people say, oh, it's about his safety. Everybody I know in conservative media basically gets death threats. All that means, like, hey, you know, you're in the public conversation. There are crazies out there that'll write you horrible things. People write horrible things to me, and I'm super nice. So I don't know what their problem is. Mostly nice all the time. So it's just bizarre. But anyway, so now, now we'll move on to the, to the, we'll try to get the, I'm hoping that this is, I'm hoping Monday we don't have to talk anymore about the Senate trial because it's over. That is my, my hope and prayer right now. We will see if that is the case, but then we'll get into what is the narrative. And one way, one way or another, there will be a fight over the main takeaway of this whole Senate trial. One way or another, there'll be this argument about what, what did we really learn here? This is also why 
I don't think that it makes any sense to make any concession to the Democrats at this point because they already have their narrative. They've already told us what it is. And it will not change. I guarantee you it will not change based on any decision made in the next couple of days about witnesses. Here's what Speaker Pelosi is saying about this. Producer Mark, would you please play clip four? Well, he will not be acquitted. You cannot be acquitted if you don't have a trial. And you don't have a trial if you don't have witnesses and documentation and, and that. I would hope that the, the senators, if it comes to a tie or if there's a question of hearing testimony or do, receiving documents, would leave it up to the chief justice of the Supreme Court. Uh, Republican appointed uh, in a Republican majority court, I would think that they would have confidence in the chief justice of the United States. That's his, really his title. And that's interesting to me that they're afraid of a breaking a tie with the uh, chief justice of the United States. Does the president know right from wrong? I don't think so. Here you have Nancy Pelosi saying that there was effectively there hasn't been a trial if the trial does not give the Democrats what they want. It hasn't even been a trial. The president will not be acquitted. This is delusional. This is really the definition of delusional. No, Nancy, the president, when the Senate votes, assuming that it votes the way we all believe it, it will, he will be acquitted, just like he is the president. But this takes us to the, the fundamental the, the origin story of Trump derangement syndrome, the, the, first, the first symptoms of Trump derangement syndrome as they manifested themselves after the 2016 election. And that was the not my president marches. That was unsettling. I remember I was in New York City. I was walking across Flatiron, uh, the Flatiron area, which is one of my favorite parts of the city named for the Flatiron building because it looks like a Flatiron. And... There were these uh, marchers, you know, and they were all screaming, not my president, not my president, just yelling, you know, and shouting in unison, walking down this and marching down the street. And I kind of wanted to be like, you can you can chant. I hate the president. The president's a buffoon. He's a bad guy. You know, I hear he order his steaks well done and has them with ketchup. And I mean, you know, you can say that stuff if you want. But to scream, not my president. no. That's just wrong. That would be like screaming, I'm not screaming, I'm not screaming. No. You're allowed to do that, but you're wrong. Right? And then this initial impulse from the left to pretend that they were not living in the reality in which they were actually living is troubling in and of itself. But this is not the first time. Let's just do a little quick review of Democrat delusion on very big issues, on momentous, serious things. Democrats lose the 2000 election. They say it is illegitimate. Democrats lose the 2016 election. They say it is illegitimate. They lose in the Supreme Court. They say it is illegitimate. They lose a Senate impeachment trial. They say it is illegitimate. Guess what? When they lose the 2020 election, they will say it is illegitimate. Now, this is not the argument that you hear from conservatives. We're not always saying, oh, you know, they they cheated. It's not real. The results don't matter. No, that that is not what happens. That is not the reality of the conservative opposition to the left and the socialist Democrats. I don't know why they really think 
that this is an acceptable place to always go, but that is what they do. They they have this they have this tendency and it, it really has become it really has become, I think, a psychological crutch for Democrats to accuse the other side, to accuse the other spectrum, other side of the spectrum ideologically of doing the things that they themselves do over and over and over again. A, a great example of this is they claim Trump is destroying institutions and destroying the rule of law. And in order to, to stop Trump from doing that, Democrats maniacally undermine and destroy institutions of government and the rule of law. But any anything to tear down Trump, anything to do whatever they can to bring him down. So Pelosi says that he will not be acquitted, even though we believe he is going to be acquitted. And if that happens, that's a binary. It's a yes or no. It's not Pelosi gets to determine whether that acquittal counts or not. No, that's not how this is going to go. Will there be Democrat votes for it? That's the big the big question. Play clip uh, seven here, Mark. Yeah, I'm increasingly optimistic uh, that Republicans will uh, move to a final verdict uh, before Tuesday. The president will be acquitted in a bipartisan manner. We're not blocking anybody's witnesses. We're just not going to legitimize the House choosing not to call a witness, dump it in our lap, and put us in a spot where if you called a witness, you'd be dealing the courts out of judicial review of impeachment. Hopefully we'll get a bipartisan acquittal. This president deserves no less. Hopefully they will not extend this farce even further, allowing us to do more damage, waste more time. It's time to vote, Republicans. It's time to vote in the Senate. End this thing. Shut it down. Acquittal for the president. And let's move on to re-election. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. But I also am very proud of our managers. Uh, We believe that they have been magnificent custodians of the Constitution. By dint of their content, their presentation, their historic perspective, and their tone, they have made us all proud. And I've told our colleagues, they give us a magnificent example to follow. And they do. One of the most entertaining parts of this whole sham and I do want to move to other topics but I, I just impeachment is and so I think we're almost done here folks. I think it's almost I do believe cocaine Mitch because he's a ruthless person as Maisie Hirono says very ruthless person cocaine Mitch don't play no games uh, I, I do think that this will be over soon but I, I will take some some solace in the, in the humor that has occurred here the unintentional humor we've seen from Democrats and one of my favorite Parts of that has been watching Nancy Pelosi pretend to have a tremendous, deep reservoir of love and respect and admiration for a constitution that I'm quite sure she has neither read nor understood. But sure enough, just a lot of uh, impeachment managers in the constitution. They've done a phenomenal job. They've made us all so proud. Uh, this this is people will look back who are who are honest. They will look back on what the Democrats have done here with disdain, disdain, because now this will be 
This is a precedent that has been set. This will be used again in the future. Anytime you have a, a, a president who has the opposition party in majority in the House of Representatives, impeachment just becomes a petty weapon, a vote of censure, a vote of, oh, look how much we hate this guy. And I, I do think that we should remember there is the possibility at some point in the future of a president who engages in conduct who of either party. It could happen. I mean, we all know it's going to be a Democrat, but it could be either party, theoretically, who engages in conduct that is so egregious, so illegal or so deeply depraved and, and morally wrong. Depraved. I mean, what really is depraved, though, when you're in president of the United States and you got things going on and, you know, you got interns running around. And so maybe even depraved. I don't, I don't know how we're going to get Democrats to agree with that is, but. Conduct that is so bad that any normal person would say, okay, yeah, the guy's got to go. And there will be this precedent set of, well, is this really, is this really bad conduct? Is this, uh, does this call for the ultimate sanction against a president? Well, remember what the Democrats did. They did this whole thing where there was a weak case and they, they pumped it up. They tried to make it seem like something that it wasn't. They did not care about what this would do to the institutions of government that they claim to care so much about. And now that precedent becomes a built-in defense for any president who decides that he or she doesn't want to go even when it's really time to go. So, I mean, Democrats don't think that far ahead. They got problems like they think they're going to lose the next election. So maybe we should spend a little time on that. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. He said impeachment light, they're going to crush you in November. <laughs> well, I'm glad he's, he's acknowledged it's going to be me. He's so worried about me, he got himself in this mix to begin with. Look, this is, I find this defense absolutely astounding. Yeah, he did it, but it doesn't matter. I mean, George Washington is rolling over in his grave with his farewell address saying, you know, the, the greatest threat to republics is, is being interfered with by foreign countries. <laughs> but, anyway, Mr. But Vice President, I, you know, I, when... The Dershowitz didn't do the same constant. Dershowitz didn't do the same constitutional law. Joe Biden sounds like he's half asleep some of the time. Really? This is going to be the president of the United States, this guy? I mean, say what you're all about Trump. The guy's dynamic. You know what he's talking about. He's got beliefs. He's got positions. He's highly engaging, highly entertaining. This is the guy. This is the guy's. Gonna beat me in November. Look, Joe Biden has always been, and and I say this as much as I can. I say this as a, as a student of the game, the game of politics. Joe Biden is a mediocrity. He always has been. And he and I actually give him credit in a sense for getting so much further along. He's getting so much further along in his career than uh, anybody could have anticipated based upon his background, his skill set, his work ethic, all of these things. So the, 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 you look at Biden back in, what was it, 2008? when he, or, or no, 2000 and, yeah, 2000 and when he was running for president, 2008, yes. And, uh, you know, trying to be the, the nominee then didn't really get above 1% of the vote. I mean, nobody thought this guy should be president. 
And then Obama, who did have a meteoric rise and and was very effective in getting in getting himself elected to office. There's no question that we can't. Unlike Pelosi, I'm not going to be like Obama wasn't good at get at winning elections. No, Obama was good at winning elections. Say what you will. That is a fact. Pelosi, you know, oh, acquittal. He's not acquitted. No, that's that's a that's a yes or no. That's a true or false statement. And Trump will be acquitted. Obama did win elections. You know who didn't win elections? Joe Biden. Joe Biden did not win elections. Joe Biden's only been able to win elections in Delaware. And no offense, but hi, I'm in Delaware. I actually was in Delaware yesterday, so I could have taped that and that would have been true. I'm technically not in Delaware now. I'm in New York City with producer Mark hanging out, having a great time. But Delaware is a relatively small, not particularly, you know, earth-shaking state when it comes to its political, national political importance. I'm not saying this. I've been to the Delaware beaches. They're quite lovely. One Very nice people in Delaware. It's not a knock on anybody. But if you're looking at a place where you're going to find the next president of the United States, you wouldn't think it's a guy who's just done exactly what he thinks he needs to do in order to stay in office in a state where if you kind of harness the, the political Democrat Party apparatus, you, that's what you can do. This guy's a career politician. A lot of people around him, though, a lot of family members, as we see, get rich. And then Joe Biden gets rich by giving speeches based on the time he's been on government because Obama said, all right, I'm going to pull a guy out of relative political obscurity. And Biden was like below Kucinich. At, I mean, Biden was a joke in 2008. And now we're supposed we're supposed to believe that he's this great politician. No, Obama needed somebody who was of the establishment and wasn't really going to cause problems and, and gave this, this, this talking point, really, of foreign policy credibility when really there's a foreign policy reliability with Joe Biden, the reliability being that he's reliably wrong. It's wrong all the time. Um, so that's that's a one reason to. You know, that's one reason to have him around. Just ask Joe Biden, what should I do on this foreign policy challenge? And then whatever he tells you, do the opposite of that thing. and You'll be in great shape. I'll never have to worry. So now I take you to. Uh, oh, well, before I was going to move on to some of these other candidates for a second. This is also why you have such a a, a ridiculous process that was playing out that isn't playing out now with impeachment because Democrats are desperate. They're desperate. They should be desperate. Look at this field of candidates they put forward. Look at the positions that they're advocating for. But Joe Biden also, this guy was like bottom of his class in law school, has told a lot of lies in the past, too, about his background. He's a very, this guy's really a, um, a BS-er. And people say, well, Buck, Trump's a BS. Yeah, but Trump's a really successful. <laughs> Trump, when Trump BSs, it's like because he wants to get a, a billion dollar, you know, office tower built somewhere or something. You know, he's a salesman. When Biden's BSing, it's like he's just making stuff up about his background because he wants people to think he's he's real smart. He's not. So he's a very unimpressive fellow. He's too old for this. And also, I mean, the thing with the thing that Tucker says about him feeding the seagulls in in Florida, you know, it was it's it's very funny because it's very uh, very true. And there there must be some sense. The Democrats must know that this is. Not going to is not going to work. By the way, they should if I'm Joe Biden and I'm clearly not. Because I don't talk about people stroking the blonde hair on my legs at the public pool. Weird stuff. 
by the way. Weird stuff. Uh, but if I were Joe Biden, uh, the pledge I would make, the only the only way that he gets around this, because he is t- he is too old. And remember, age is not age is not just the number when we're talking about this. There's some people who are incredibly I mean, there are 80 year olds listening to the show who are like, Buck, I'll do more push ups than you. I'll outrun you. And, and that's real. I know that Joe Biden is not one of them. I mean, the Joe Biden mentally has clearly gotten a little foggier, a little slower. He's just not up for this. And he says, oh, that's so mean. Look what they They say that Trump is crazy and that he's too they, the people have said he's too fat to be president because it's a health risk. They're insane. The Democrats are they make health an issue when they want. And then when you bring it up on the other side, it's, oh, why are you being so cruel? And when Hillary like flops in the back of a car uh, in the height of an election season and everyone's supposed to pay no attention to it. How many times have you flopped into the back of a van recently when you're asking to have the nuclear codes in a matter of months? I, I think it's legitimate, right? And you remember they tried to hide that, and the media, oh, it didn't happen. It's a conspiracy. It's crazy. Uh, but Biden is a is a deeply unimpressive fellow. He's not up for this. If I were Biden, I would say that I was only going to run for one term, and I would I would name my VP pretty much right now, and it'd have to be somebody who's who's younger and has a greater vibrancy. Um, that I think that would be and not not that I want to give the Democrats good advice, but I think that would be a smart move for him because eventually the air is going to the air is going to come out of this Biden balloon uh, for his election and people are going to they're just not going to be able to keep just pushing this thing through. But then you look at Bernie. Bernie's old. Bernie. I mean, you know, we, look, I do want good health for all these Democrats. I, I you know, we're human beings first. But Bernie had a had a heart attack. I mean, the guy is also really up there and, and doesn't seem like he. Is, is up for this. Put aside his positions for a moment. Warren, I'm not talking about Warren's health. I'm talking about what Warren had to say because that is, it was a wow moment here. Elizabeth Warren, um, this gives you a, a preview of the governance you could expect with Elizabeth Warren as president of the United States. Producer Mark, please play clip 20. I'm going to have a secretary of education that this young trans person interviews on my behalf. And only if this person believes that our secretary or secretary of education nominee is someone who is committed to creating a welcoming environment, a safe environment, and a full educational curriculum for everyone, will that person actually be advanced to be secretary of education? You like that? You like that? You like it? You like it? You're going to get it. Okay. Let's unpack this for a moment. Elizabeth Warren here is telling you, the American voter, she said this publicly at a, at a, for, you know, at a forum, town hall, whatever, saying that she is going to have a, a trans child... I believe they said it was going to be like a nine-year-old, but I don't know if she, I forget if she gave an age right before we cut that clip. But a child, a transgender child would have the final say in an interview process for the Secretary of Education, a cabinet-level position. Elizabeth Warren thinks that's a normal, intelligent, groundbreaking thing to say. There's a lot going on here. First of all, I, I the uh, obsession with pushing transgenderism on children, this this should be a, a, a red line of uh, of sanity for people. Like this should not be happening the way that it is now. 
And all you have to do is look at the efforts to really dig into whether this is happening because of social pressure and ideological contagion and or, or whether this is just the innate and natural state that there are eight year olds that not only I mean, it's one thing for an eight year old or, a, or you know, a nine year old to think that he or she is a different gender, but that we need to immediately take dramatic action to to, quote, affirm that belief is this is this is crazy and this is a problem. And there right now you see it a little bit just like with the, entri- the entire trans agenda. They will. What, what is today on the edge in a year, in two years, will be the demand. What today is the, the vanguard, the, the forefront of this politicized issue, they will make the standard. It'll be a civil rights crusade. You know, of course we should give, you know, hormone blocking therapy to uh, 14, 13 and 14 year olds who think they're transgender. You know, of, of course we should... Uh, engage in this in this practice that even modern medicine that this has never happened before. So people say, "Oh, doctors think this is safe or lying to you." They have no idea. No one really knows what's going to happen in twenty years when you give a thirteen-year-old puberty-blocking treatment. This is this is insane. This is abuse. But put aside for a moment Elizabeth Warren's claim here about transgender children, which again she's just trying to be super woke. That's what this is. The, the wokest that she can be. Put aside that claim for a moment. Having a child of any of, of any background persuasion, I don't care. Just let's start with child. Put aside trans. The trans part of this is irrelevant to, to me in this part of the conversation. Having a child interview an adult <laughs> and having the president of the United States ask the child if the adult should get the job is a pretty good summary of how crazy libs have gotten. You know, this is the Greta Thunberg syndrome playing out now again in public for all of us to see, where adults on the left are elevating and idealizing the political beliefs of children as unassailable and essential to the conversation that adults have about politics. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I mean, this is this is beyond normal human stupidity. This is only possible through ideological brainwashing on the left. And and let me just give you, you know, well, what if Elizabeth Warren just, you know, before I pick my secretary of defense, I would just want to know uh, I'd take a, a six year old and I'd have the six year old sit down with the four star general I'm considering. And I'd say. Do you make do you make the six-year-old feel safe? And I'd ask him, does he feel because if you can't make a six-year-old feel safe, how can you be my secretary of defense? That's a really good question, Elizabeth Warren. I suppose we'll have to answer it if you become president. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I don't have a, a, you know, one of those things. What do you call a thing that you blow into on your birthday that goes, you know, makes the noise? And it, is it a, is it a kazoo? What do we call that? Did you make the noise one more time? Let me one, one more time. No, no, no. It's, no, no. Uh, twice is enough. I don't want to spoil you. 
But what's the thing called? You know when you you do the Oh my god. You know uh, what I mean? Yeah. The, the thing that they have I do. the I don't even I don't even know if I could ever I don't know if I've ever known what this is called. I just know yeah. that they, it's like a party favor that you give the kids that are, We don't yeah. have those today unfortunately. We don't have party hats either. Party hats look particularly absurd on me because, you know, yeah, the you, head. You have to tell me when to bring this stuff in. Yeah, Come we on. don't have it, but I wanted to I want to tell everybody that producer Mark and I are in here and we are uh we are celebrating Brexit Day, everybody. Oh, hello, Brexit Day. The UK is separating from the European Union today. It's fantastic. I, I hope that there's going to be a lot of interviews on the BBC with guys who are like, I don't really care what happens with the, with the EU. You know, main governor. Not really. You know, like the, the different... You know they don't all talk like that, right? I like some of them do. They're like, I don't really want... You're the talking EU like anymore. a drunk Englishman. But like, they always find some old, crusty Englishman who's like, I don't really care much about any of these things. Again, you watch a lot of movies, Buck. Yeah. I've never been to England, but I can imagine they don't all talk like that. Yeah. I just want to walk around the pub, be like, happy Brexit day, lad. What's going on? You know what I mean? Like yeah, that. No, I understand. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think Brexit day is today at 11 p.m., the... European Union loses the UK after nearly 50 years of membership. It's 40 some odd years. I forget what it exactly. 47 years. Um, so, I mean, this is if you believe in sovereignty, if you believe in national identity, if you believe in a nation state and a people getting to determine their future. This is a happy day for for uh, the folks of the UK. Of course, this was a bitterly di- it was bitterly divided when they initially had the Brexit referendum, and the establishment within the EU and within the great within Great Britain's political system uh, was very opposed to this because there's a, there's a deep connection, a correlation between elitism in Western societies, including here, and internationalism. This is why people that go and get fancy degrees that are essentially worthless at fancy sounding, but increasingly dumb and not particularly worthwhile institutions of higher learning, uh, they train you to be very pro, you know, pro IMF, pro UN, pro International Criminal Court, all of these things. Um, those people didn't like this, but the people that voted for Brexit are actually going to get uh, actually get a Brexit. Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Uh, is the guy that you're going to be hearing some speeches from on this one. They got flags lining Parliament Square and the mall. They've got uh, the mall is a ceremonial avenue leading to Buckingham Palace. You know, I've only been, to, I, I'm actually going to go to London this spring, which would be fun because I've only been once. Have you ever been? I've been once before. I was 12 years old. I barely even remember. Maybe I was 13. I have never been. Yeah. I just remember, I remember everybody had a fancy accent and the food wasn't very good that's what I remember do, when I was do they think I was we have fancy accents no they think our accents are super unfancy mm. they all think Americans talk like this I've heard how Brits try to impersonate us I'm on to you Brits oh, I got eyes on you just like we try to impersonate them it's the but same our thing. impressions are perfect because we know exactly mm. how they sound no I think so Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're reclaiming a very proud heritage as a manufacturing nation again. Do you remember when the previous administration, the head of the previous administration, I won't mention names, I'm sure you'll never guess the name, 
but said that you need a magic wand to create manufacturing jobs. Well, we found the magic wand because we're going to be hitting 750,000 manufacturing jobs in the not too distant. You know, you do all these great deals. Everybody says, thank you, sir. This has never happened. Everybody said it's impossible to do. It'll never, never take place, trade deals like this. And then we've built our military. We've cut taxes. We've taken care of regulations, cut more than any other president in the history of our country. And we did that in three years instead of eight years. How many awesome trade deals can you remember President Obama? Or just trade deals. Forget about awesome. We don't need that qualifier. How many really important trade deals do you remember President Obama getting done in his eight years? Eight years. I mean, maybe there was, I'm sure that there was, if you get some Obama, pro-Obama hack from the administration years to come forward. But what about the trade deal we have with... You know, the, the the people of Micronesia or something. You know, I'm sure they have some deal somewhere that they'll point to. But Micronesia, fun fact, part of the coalition of the willing under the Bush administration. Just uh, just putting that out there. That was a real thing. I think they sent I'm, I'm not. A, I think they sent one guy, one person. So they were technically a part of the coalition of the willing. Um, some old some old history from back in the day. But uh, the president here is. Making a few points. One, we were told, while everyone now who hates the president likes to pretend that, sure, the economy's booming. Oh, of course it's booming. Of course it's great. Uh, because Obama was presiding over the weakest recovery since the Great Depression, because the jobs numbers, because uh, economic growth and prosperity uh, on a GDP, uh, GDP reflected level were so weak. They had to come up with some explanation for why it was the way it was. And so beyond that, they just had to say, well, this is the new normal, right? That was a storyline that you would hear under the Obama years, especially in the second term. You know, America, this is the way we're going to grow now. We got uh, too many things here, too many problems, too much debt, whatever it is, too much foreign competition. You know, if you've been an investor in the last couple of years, you've been investing in America, you're doing great. You've been investing in uh, like the international stock market and China, uh, let me tell you, it's not it has not been a good time to be owning any any Chinese uh, any Chinese stocks. So that's a reflection now. I mean, r- right now, what you have is the media trying to come up with a way to downplay Trump's successes, and he's trying to remind everybody as he's signing this trade deal that we were, you know, that Obama said that there would need to be a magic wand to bring back these manufacturing jobs. That there would that there's no way to do these things. So it turns out if you remove regulation, you lower corporate taxes. And you just have a more pro-business, pro-private you know, private property and respecting contracts approach to economic activity, good things can happen. I hadn't yet told you, just, I don't know, this is a little dry, especially it's late on a Friday. We're about to get a roll call. We'll have some fun. I'll tell you about the steak that I had last night that was truly, I had a steak last night. It was almost like a religious experience. It was truly amazing. Um, but here's what the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement does, if you're curious, because you probably won't hear this that many places. This is from the Office of the Trade Representative of the United States Government. Agreement highlights include creating a more level playing field for American workers, including improved rules of origin for automobiles, trucks, other products, and disciplines on currency manipulation, Benefiting American farmers, ranchers, and agribusinesses by modernizing and strengthening food and agriculture trade in North America. 
supporting a 21st century economy through new protections for U.S. intellectual property and ensuring opportunities for trade in U.S. services. New chapters covering digital trade, anti-corruption, and good regulatory practices, as well as a chapter devoted to ensuring that small and medium-sized enterprises benefit from the agreement. So just trying to streamline, protect, and facilitate business. Just trying to do everything they can. And then if you look at the actual agreement itself, it has telecommunications, digital trade, intellectual property, competition policy, state-owned enterprises, labor, environment, regulatory practices, anti-corruption. I mean, it's it's a sweeping, it's it's, it's a major, a major agreement that'll affect a lot of things and will make the business of the American people easier. And that this president isn't just sitting around saying, um, remember what the the big Obama talking point for a long time was when Obama could when Obama couldn't follow through on the promises that he had made to his to, to Democrat voters. It was Republicans are obstructionist. That was always what we would hear. In fact, they said Republicans were such obstructionists that even when Obama decided that he wasn't going to go to them anymore and he was just going to do end runs on them, it was because it was, quote, the right thing for him to do to use the pen and the phone. Remember that? Got a pen and a phone. And he would use that pen and phone via executive order to institute policy that he couldn't get the Republicans in the Congress to go along with because they are Republicans and they didn't want to do these things. But the excuse was always obstruction. Not only have Democrats generally been opposed to this president's policies and the hashtag resistance in the federal judiciary has just made his life much more difficult as president than it should be in a, in a fair and just legal environment. Uh, they've been trying to destroy the president. They've been, you know, we're in the middle of an impeachment trial right now. And yet he is still delivering on promises, including in this case, a promise that involved Democrats. I, I would have to ask, I mean, for especially uh, for those who are independent voters or I would want to know what it, what would they want the president to be doing differently? I, I don't mean fake, you know, fake news people that they're going to put up and say, oh, this, here's, a, here's a here's an independent. Then you know, what they're going to find a lot of they're going to find a lot of suburban moms in the Midwest who are going to be like, oh, gosh, like, I just think that Trump is super mean, you know, you know, he's super mean. And I'm sure there are some moms who feel that way. That's fine. But that's going to be a, a recurring thing you'll see. They're going to find suburban moms who are, oh, gosh, those tweets. Oh, yeah. Those tweets are mean. And they're not going to find people that they can put forward as the independent or undecided voter, which is which is always the, the most the most beloved of all American voters in election season, right? I mean, no one cares about the Buckster because I'm voting Republican in this sea of insane blue. But they're going to find all these people that, as I said, that they think Trump is mean, they don't like his style. I would want to know, what do they think that Trump should be doing differently? If you're really going to judge this presidency on the merits, what would be a better approach than what we are seeing from the president in terms of policy? Oh, I saw today that there is, I think, a Politico article. Politico is a politics site for people who think left of center is center. Um, and in that article, they talk about the constitutional crisis that the president poses by trying to build this wall. It's not a constitutional crisis. This is not that big a deal. He should just be allowed to build the wall. It should happen. He's the commander in chief, Army Corps of Engineers, signing them to do this, protecting U.S. national boundaries, borders. Should be allowed to do this. And the courts that are going to try to stop him from doing it are allowing ideology to dictate 
their legal interpretation, which we keep seeing. This is the nationwide injunctions you get from these federal courts where effectively any judge who is a leftist, a leftist that happens to be wearing a black robe, uh, any judge can decide that they're going to override the policies of the president of the United States. You're going to, you know, even with the, even in that environment, though, the president has been able to deliver. And uh, look, I hope we just have another fantastic economic year because this is really good for the American people. We are getting wealthier, more comfortable, more secure. I worry about the fact that we got a trillion dollar a year deficit. It's bad. No one seems to care anymore. I don't know. This is like a late on a Friday, so I feel like I'll just tell you this because I know people are, ah, bah, buck. Let's hear producer Mark talk about hockey. We don't need to hear you talk about the deficit. It's boring. No one cares. Um, okay, $22 trillion and counting. It matters. It matters at some point. There are pressures from carrying a debt load that large, pressures on the economy that affect all of us, but they're unseen in many ways. You, It's not as, as straightforward as just, oh, gosh, it's making us all poorer or less free. That's a real thing, but also there's the possibility of this thing implodes, and all of a sudden you have a real crisis. And when you have a crisis of that magnitude, a financial crisis, and who knows what exactly it will be, but when that crisis hits, it's too late to turn it around without massive economic damage. If we're going to tackle it, the time would be now. But I know, go to an election year, everybody... Everybody right now wants to believe that Uncle Sam is Santa Claus and there's an endless stream of money to just throw at everything we want for ourselves. It's not the way it works, folks, but that's my pitch. That's my pitch for today. Oh, we got to care about the debt and the deficit, but nobody does. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I live in Toronto where the SARS virus got world-scale attention. That's because the only people who died outside of Asia from that virus were in Canada, and most of them were in Toronto. With only 44 people dying in total in Canada, it had a huge impact on our city. We lost a lot of tourism, we lost millions of dollars, but most importantly, we saw a lot of stigma and racism towards Chinese people. It's important that we do not repeat those racist notions that happened here in Toronto, and we all need to be aware of this when we talk about the current coronavirus. On our social media channels, we have seen lots Lots of people saying things like this always happens in China and relating it a lot to the types of foods that Chinese people eat. But it's important to remember that Western food practices are what created mad cow disease and also Western meat consumption has created a big issue with antibiotic resistance. We need to listen to and trust public health professionals and we need to not overreact and we need to not use this as an excuse to be racist. Wokeness. Wokeness is more important than your safety, my friends. This was some videos making the rounds over the weekend, uh, people sharing this all over social media uh, in response to the, the coronavirus outbreak, which you know is obviously in China right now. Uh, I think under 10,000 cases and under 200 deaths, but it could grow very rapidly. Um, here's the truth. We need to be able to speak about what caused this and where the risk factors are without people thinking that this is about whether or not there's some cultural offense given. But there's nobody, n- nobody is hearing about this and, and being racist against, or I mean, when I say nobody, let me step back from that for a second. The conversation is not about more random morons on the internet who are racist, not just against Chinese people, but it'll be racist against any people. Yeah, those people are always going to be around, they're morons. But we do have to understand if there was, you know, if this is going to continue to be a problem, is there a a uh, 
a food source or a way of handling certain food products, animal products in this case, that leads to what could be a pandemic. We want to stop that thing from happening. And when, you know, when people's lives are at stake, when their health is at stake, all of a sudden they, they get a little bit more uneasy. Not Some libs are still crazy, about, but a little more uneasy about, oh, we don't want to be culturally insensitive. They mentioned SARS. SARS comes from, and they did analysis of this, SARS comes from uh, the practice in a part of China from uh, eating the civet cat, which is, I guess, a type of wild cat, and they eat it, and that's where SARS came from. So it does matter that there are certain practices, and there's the, there are these videos that are making the rounds right now of what we would consider really kind of an exotic meat market, I suppose, in Wuhan, which is where the, this is that's ground zero of this coronavirus outbreak. Um, by the way, I wonder, you know, people have been, this is for real, people have been doing searches on Corona beer and virus a lot now because there are people that think that they're most, I remember the first day I said, like, like nothing to do with, sure enough, this is not a well-named, this is not a well-named virus. I'd be willing to bet, and this is an aside to the bigger concerns here, that you might actually see a little bit of a drop in Corona sales because of this, because that's just the way people, ooh, coronavirus, and I don't, I remember the, uh, the band Anthrax, after the Anthrax scare in this country, was really upset about that situation. So this this can happen. Uh, but this this uh, storyline that we're hearing now that you can't discuss the practices in uh, the food you know, practices in China and how it affects us. First of all, it is true that most the, the flu virus that we're worried about year in and year out, you know, new strains of flu virus do tend to come out of livestock and, you know, f- animal food handling processes in China. This is just this is the truth. This is where it often, you know, bird flu, swine flu, these things, they come out of China. So that's real. And for him to, you know, this is a, a moment where, oh, well, let's just let's make this about cultural criticism in some way. He brought up Matt Cowdy's, I think. Uh, I'm trying to how many people have actually been killed by Matt Cow disease? It's like. A handful. I think four, yeah, four people in the United States have died of mad cow disease ever. So to say we're responsible for mad cow disease is kind of like, well, and I'm pretty sure you also have to eat like the brains of the cow for that to be an issue. So, yeah, not we we handle our produce and our livestock very, uh, very hygienically in comparison to what is done in some other countries. When you see the video in uh, Wuhan of of this market where they have bats and they have, you know, big boa constrictors and they've got rats and dogs in cages and they're eating all these things. These are all these are all for human consumption. And it's just sort of laid out on tables. And it's it's not it's not a hygienic practice. Okay, it's just not. So it's it's not to we're not putting down any individual. We're trying to find ways to avoid pandemic disease from happening. But in the wokeness world of the left in this country, better to say that, you know, our use of antibiotics in animals is equivalent to people eating what may be contaminated bats or drinking bat soup. Which I got to tell you, there are some things that I'd be willing to like be a little risky in terms of giving it a shot. You will never catch me eating bat bat anything. On the list of animals, as we've discussed, bats are 
very low on the what I'm willing to eat. I would take a, I actually, I think I'd go rat before I'd go bat. What do you think, Mark? Would you go snake before you go rat? None of the above. None of the, but you have to. What if you're with Indiana Jones and Indiana I mean, Jones and the Temple of Doom and the only uh, food you have available is whatever they give you? I'll promise you that it will never happen. But if I had to choose one of those, I think I at least have heard of snake being eaten before. Yeah. Do you remember in Indiana Jones when he opens, he like slits open the boa constrictor yeah. in the Temple of Doom and that guy's like eating and then the baby's, oh man. That's a movie, Buck. Yeah, that's a good movie. This isn't Fear Factor. Okay. I, yeah, bugs, I, I, I did eat crickets in, in, uh, in yeah. Mexico. And uh, I think they were not very good. So I would not recommend that people eat crickets. So People like it. It's protein. It is It is protein. So eventually we're supposed to stop eating all like good meat. Uh, and we're supposed to start just eating insects and, and vegetables, I think. Until they realize that insects are living creatures too. And then they will tell us that we can't eat them either. And then that the plants have feelings. That's also where we're heading. Eventually plant-based burgers will be, you know, it's veggie murder. So I don't know what we're supposed to just eat, like spores, molds, and fungus. I'm not really sure what we're going to be left with. Doesn't Air. Sound, doesn't sound exciting to me, though. You know, algae. Algae is a living thing. I don't know. You know, if we're really going to be, if we're really going to be true humanitarians, I don't think we can eat plants or algae. I think we just, I think, you know, you just have to, humanity has to starve. How can we drink water? It might have feelings. Single-celled organisms. Am I just going to just, just ingest amoeba without any sense of whether, the, what are those amoeba's hopes and dreams? You know, what is that paramecium or that? I'm running out of. Do you, yeah, you're sure. over my head now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't pay attention just, in science. I'm just saying, you know, the flagellum. Am I sure. just going to eat flagellum without anyone even caring? That flagellum has That's, feelings. Sounds like a new product from Jello. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. So exciting to have some Roll Call time with all of you. So uh, thank you for letting me do that. Always appreciate it. Missed you guys yesterday. Glad to be back. Not planning any more days away anytime soon, so that's the good news. Um, uh, here we go. Let's get to it, shall we? Here we go. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Exciting stuff. Oh, I, I was going to tell you, so I, I had a, I visited my friends at Sandsbury Research last night, uh, talking about some book stuff, and then we had, we had dinner. We went to a place in Baltimore called the Prime Rib which there are also offshoots of this, I believe, in Washington, D.C. I've never been to those ones, but the original prime rib is in Baltimore. It may be the, it may be the best steak place I've ever been in my life. It may actually be number one all time. It's that good. I'll have to go to Baltimore for it. Yeah, you got you to check it out. I love but it. I will tell you, I got, they have the prime rib. So you can get prime rib, obviously, but sure. they also have the prime rib steak, hmm. which is a tomahawk, a ribeye tomahawk, which is oh. what I tend to go for. And and that's fine, even though it's a very the steak's about the size of my head. There's no judgment there. Do you right? finish I, it all? I pretty much, yeah. Wow. This morning, my I still feel a little heavy from the whole, you have the meat the whole sweats. experience. Yeah, I was really I went after it. Um, I didn't. By the way, I didn't take up any. People go to steakhouse. Like, can I have a wedge salad? 
You're not being healthy. You're just having a bunch of lettuce drenched in blue cheese. Yeah. Just just be a man and eat your steak. Do you what get a side this? dish or that's yeah, yeah, side, so that's yeah. All, side dishes. You know, Brussels and asparagus, whatever you want to do with that, that's fine. But people always take up all this room with the wedge salad. Yeah, why get the appetizer? Why? Why wedge salad yourself when you're at a steakhouse and you're going to have some delicious red meat? Unless it's like a blooming onion. Those are delicious. Oh, you can't have Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know. Isn't that an Outback Steakhouse? That is an Outback Steakhouse special, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, maybe that's kind of exciting. But I see people and they're like, oh, let me eat like a a head of lettuce drenched in blue cheese, which I'm not saying it tastes bad. It tastes good. But you're taking up precious room, precious volume in your gullet. Is that another word for gut? I don't know. Yeah. For... The steak. It's like, but this is what happened to me though, and I feel a little, I feel a little sheepish about this now. I was with some great friends last night. We had a great dinner, but uh, I, I saw this op, this option on the on the steak for. Is there? There's a party going outside. Yeah, on, I think there's the a Super Bowl right tailgate about to happen. Oh yeah, people are about to rock. Did yeah. we get invited to this party that's happening? Oh right yeah, next there's door signs studio? around the building. Okay. Well, I'm glad people are having fun while we try to save the Republic. Yeah. That's cool. You want me to go you out know? there and scream? And no, me? it's all good. It's fine. It's just I just hope they know that they sleep under a blanket of freedom that we provide them sure. while they're partying. You know, it's because we're in here making sure the country continues to function and the presidency isn't ruined. Um, but I, so I so I saw the steak and it was a, a tomahawk. Of course, I ordered medium rare. I might have actually, in retrospect, stepped it up to rare. I might just go all in. I saw this. Have you ever seen this before? There was an option for how to order your steak in mm. terms of accoutrement. One of them was called Oscar. Do you know what do you know what ordering your steak Oscar is? No. I did not know this until last night. I was like, what is that? That sounds like fun. It is taking a, about a fist size of lump crab meat huh. and just pouring hollandaise all over the lump crab meat and then putting one single thing of asparagus, hashtag healthy, on top of it. Yeah, it sounds very healthy. I got to tell you, it was amazing, but I felt a little judged. Like the table looked at me like, "Really? You're getting a you're getting like a 32 ounce tomahawk ribeye, sure. medium rare, right? 32 and ounces. whatever. It was big. It was a big steak. Yeah. And then you're going to have a a fist-sized lump crab meat drenched in effectively just butter with some herbs. That seems a little excessive. You know what I say to that? Challenge accepted. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Challenge was accepted. It was good, although I still, I'm a little like. How do you eat all? Did you not slow. eat all day? Like, Correct. Okay. I, I, I did. I had a, a muffin from okay. my uh, my brother's company, uh, Susie's. I did not eat any food other than that, but I'm, my stomach is like still a little full today. Yeah, I would imagine. You like, know, there's not really a lot of room for anything. I so. recently went to, have you ever been to a Brazilian steakhouse? Oh, yeah. I have, do they the, keep bringing you the meat until you say stop? The, I was like, That's I can't dangerous. eat all day. I just have to eat there. And then one guy I went with did not eat any of the side dishes, didn't go to the salad bar, nothing. He was like, I'm just having meat. I, I kind of appreciate this purist attitude because a lot of people, they go to steakhouse and they fill up on... When I see people at a steakhouse eating... If it's a good steakhouse, eating like... Bread? Big things of bread beforehand. Sure. That's not smart. No. I mean, look, to each his own, eat whatever you want. But if we're if you're really going to go game time, you got to save room. You got to save room for the... Uh, a protein. Wow, the real, we're really in the middle of a party. Here. We are, yeah. I, uh, okay. Usually they're downstairs, so I'm surprised. It's right oh, next okay. to us. Well, today we can go out there and, and you know drink some of their booze and hang out, and that'll be fun. Uh, all right, I got to get to roll call, which means all of your thoughts brought to me here. Thank you so much. Um, here we go. Let's get to Rich. I was def- guffawing Tuesday 
during your show with your impressions of Bernie and Warren made me laugh out loud. Since I was honoring my birthday with their caucuses, I trust you will be following the candidates and giving your impressions along the way. Thank you again for your enjoyable commentary. Rich, thank you so much for writing in, and your kind words are, are very much appreciated. Frank, first, love the show. Um, my wife is the hockey fan in the family, but I think Producer Mark's segment should be called Producer Mark's Penalty Box or maybe Producer Mark's Not Neutral Zone. I, th- I think the penalty box is going to win out on this one, but yeah. let's see what Mark Do you thinks. even know what the neutral zone is? That was my question when I saw this message. Oh, no, I thought that was just like a thing that he had made up. No, the neutral zone is like the area between the blue lines, like in the middle of the ice. This is why you got to take me to a hockey game. Yeah. I guess I'm taking you, but whatever, same idea. Yeah. we got to go to a hockey game so I, so I can learn some of these hey, things. the Rangers play I did, Monday. I did have a nice chat with a fellow who was a was a hockey player once, and, and he, was a, he was very— well known for this happened recently actually a few mm. weeks ago very well known for fighting and he explained because i was very curious about this he explained to me that first of all they've cracked down a lot on fighting in hockey yes. from when he played because he's now retired and you know he was talking about playing i guess 15 or 20 years ago and i said i don't really understand how is this okay and he said that first of all if you really hurt somebody they will some like you can get arrested like if you hit somebody oh, in the face you with do your something, stick, if you yeah, like really break, out of the ordinary, yeah. if you do something that's out of the ordinary, and I said, but I don't understand how does this work? And he's well, well, teams have like fighters, yeah, and it's known that they're going to be a fighter, and there's like a whole, it's almost like this ballet of there are these different guys that are involved in that component of the hockey match, but like most of the, like you would never, if you started a fight with Wayne Gretzky, people would have looked oh, down yeah. on you. He had a he, guy named Marty McSorley that was on his line. Specifically to protect him. Uh, Somebody hit him, McSorley's coming after you. Yeah, see, this, this is yeah. what I, there's like this whole thing about there how. There used the, to be line brawls, like the entire, all five players on each side, even the goalies would get involved. Sometimes they go on the bench. It was crazy back in the 70s, 80s, even early 90s. Yeah. Line brawls. Line brawls. Which, like, Look at the time you're like, oh, this is awesome. But like looking back at it, it's like, oh, this is barbaric, and I hope <laughs> yes. these guys are are this, okay. So this like, is why I was not really a hockey fan. I grew yeah. up. I remember. I remember playing the game on Nintendo Blades of Steel, yeah. and this would happen. There would be like bench clearing brawls. Yes. You could actually start. Well, there used to be NHL hits. Yeah. Blades of Steel. Did you ever older. play that one? I was older. You're a little. Yeah, older. yeah, I know. Yeah. It's the wrong generation for you, but still, yeah, that's a thing. Um. Good, good stuff. I did not know about all that. I did not know about line brawls. You learn something. Learn Go something. Go on YouTube. New. There's a lot of videos of them. Kendall writes in first. Buck, first off, I want to say I love your show. Never quit. It gets me through my days at work. I enjoy listening to your takes on everything and impressions. However, this message was spurred from your January 28th episode when producer Mark brought up Tecmo Bowl and the Raiders team with Bo Jackson being unstoppable. I love Tecmo, still play it with my brothers when we go home to visit, but we had the rule, just like we did with GoldenEye and Odd Job, another fave that you mentioned, which I love, you couldn't use the Raiders in any type of competitive setup like the season mode. Tecmo was incredible. No penalties and great halftime shows. Thanks for keeping us on this topic, um, or letting me get in on this topic. Keep up the fantastic show, you guys. Shields high. First of all, I'm sorry. It's not against, you know, this is not nom, there are rules. It's not against... The rules to play with with Odd Job in Goldeneye. You know, people can whine about this, but Odd Job is a character; it's allowed. Um, 
then as for Tecmo, I don't know if that's if, if Bo Jackson is so much better than the other players. That there was like a Michael Jordan basketball game where like basically every time you shot with Jordan, you made it. So if you're yeah. playing against that, there team. were certain video games back in the day, like we mentioned a couple of days ago, Madden 03 with Michael Vick, yeah. unstoppable. Like yeah. certain players are just so good. Nowadays, it's not as bad. Yeah. Like even though, like for example, in hockey, Connor McDavid is the best player in the game, but he's not always going to score. He's not like. Bo yeah. Jackson and Tech Mobile. Connor McDavid, is he really the most valuable player in the NHL? Oh, yeah, he's Gretzky-esque. What teams does he play for? The Edmonton Oilers, actually. Yeah. Same team Gretzky played for. Oh, I thought yeah. Gretzky was an L.A. King. He was. See? Look at that. Well, From the video games. He got traded. That was yeah. back when there was no salary cap, so basically the Kings bought him. Uh, and Edmonton he needed money. Yeah. And honestly, him being a King is what really started hockey in America. I hear Edmonton's lovely this time of year, by the way. Oh, if you yeah. enjoy sticking your face in a freezer with, with like, wet hair. Yeah. Uh, Western Canada, not yeah. the best place to play hockey. Eh? So, uh, let's see what we get here. Now we have Steven. Hey, Buck. Tell producer Mark to man up and watch The Mandalorian. Steven, I'll let you tell producer Mark to man up. He does get a lot of shade for things he can't control. However, I really like him on the show. This is the way, Shields High. See? He likes you. He just wants yeah, you to watch despite the Despite him telling me to man up, that yeah. is a great message. There Thank we you. go. I'll yeah. take it. Yeah. P.S. Glad that Trump knows where Wisconsin is on a map. It's actually been within within 40 miles of my house. Very cool, Stephen. Thank you so much. Uh, let's see. Next up here. We have so many messages. Jeff. Hey, Buck. Love the show. First time message after two years of listening. Thank you so much, Jeff. Appreciate it. Just want to say that you were correct. Do not listen to the ill-informed listener. Porsche is the, cor- is the correct pronunciation, not Porsche. Uh-oh. You and Mark, keep up the good work. As for the ill-informed listener, look up a Porsche commercial on YouTube as proof. Shields high. See, I speak a tiny bit of the German. And when you've taken at least two years of high school-level German, you know that the pronunciation is Porsche and not Porsche. Now is the time on sprockets when we dance. That was one. Sound of the, like the Swedish chef. That's not Swedish. That's German, dude. Uh, no, Swedish but you sound like the character. Uh, yes. Like that. Yeah. I it's Swedish how I would too. imagine the Swedish chef would speak German. For some reason, producer Mark likes the German chef. Achtung! We cut everything very precisely and mechanically, like we are doing the inside of a BMW. It's very special. They're having a real party outside, man. I think. They have any tequila? You see any tequila out there? Oh, I don't know. There's, I think this is just a line for the food. Oh, there's a line for the food? Yeah, so like just to paint the picture for everybody on the so radio. So I want you to just walk out there and tell those people who yeah. work on the music side of this business that uh, producer Mark is here, and producer Mark, don't wait in no lines. Yeah, I'll just walk to the front of the line. Yeah, but basically the kitchen and the performance area is right next to our studio. Jeremy, Jeremy Spoken. Uh, your discussion on the population of Vermont being less than many American cities should be sufficient evidence for Democrats to want the Electoral College. Too often they point to the middle of the country and think that only the Electoral College favors Republicans. However, if the popular vote were to be used, the self-proclaimed intellectuals of New England would be forgotten. Shields high. Well, Jeremy has spoken. Thanks so much, man. Buck, you are correct. Portia is a two-syllable word. They even have a YouTube video out to help people pronounce it correctly. You are awesome. Shields high. Even when I think I'm wrong, I'm right. Even when some people think I'm wrong, I'm right. Unlike producer Mark, who thought that Clemson was in Alabama. 
It burns. It burns. We can't let him let that one, you know, he's right a lot, so we can't let him let that one totally slip. Uh, Erica, listening to your Wednesday podcast, when a Bloomberg ad came on, I was surprised and then amused the ad got cut off mid-sentence with a soundbite of Trump. Yeah, Erica, I think we've explained this before. People are sending in a lot of messages about this. There are rules uh, for political ads, and you can't, uh, you know, FCC rules, Federal Communication Commission rules, that you can't uh, not take ads on your air for political part, you know, for a political candidate of one side and only the other, um, especially if you're going to be on terrestrial radio, as we are. We're on 160 stations now on the Buck Saxton Show. So that means that we have to, I have no choice in our commercials but to take ads from Mayor Bloomberg. And that includes the podcast as well. And that includes the podcast as well. So can't do anything. We, there's no, I mean, I'm sorry, guys. There's nothing we can do about that. So those of you that don't want to hear Bloomberg ads, but also, you know, you know, listen to Bloomberg ads. You might be like, hey. Why do you have that big soda? You don't need that big soda. I'm Mini Mike, and I approve this message. You know what I mean? Like, he's, listen to what his, listen to what his ads are. Um, Nicole writes, "Wow, the girl that is in for you today." Um, okay, please come back. <laughs> I'll just read that part. Thank you, Nicole. I missed you all. Uh, thank you for having me back, or rather, for wanting me back. I do appreciate that. Um. Willie, in German, it's Porsche. If Ferdinand was French, the E was not pronounced. Coke is pronounced wrong, does not matter which one. CH in German is a soft G. In some areas, it's a K, but it is the most common for it to be the soft G. Porsche. Or the soft G. As in German. Oh, guten Tag. Ja. Ich nehme... Buck. I might teach producer Mark a little German in here. The, uh, wie heißen Sie? Wie heißen Sie, Mark? Uh, yeah, that's, I did take two years of German in high school. I remember about 30 words, so fun fun times. Robert, uh, he says, if I hold up the sign, but you can't see the sign, so that's no good. Ruth, um, I've never heard a Republican ad on your podcast um, so what's going on there? Well, I mean, tell some Republicans to advertise on my podcast. I don't know. Where are you, Geo? I mean, Bloomberg has spent like $100 million, though, so there's a lot of money he's throwing around, right? That's that's not on us. I yeah, know. I think Bloomberg just paid the company X yeah. amount of dollars, so it's on every podcast on yeah, IR. I think, it's, yeah. I think he's just blanketed the airwaves. Yeah, so I'm sure Trump will follow Sue once it's after the primary. He doesn't need to spend the money now. Why would he? Yeah, that'll be fun. Team, the weekend is upon us. Um, I'm back every day next week. Very excited. Uh, so thank you so much, as always, for listening, for being here. Please pass the buck. Tell a friend to listen to the show. Also, if you have not already and you listen to us on radio or podcast, check out Pluto TV's channel 248, the first, until Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody. Shields hot.